Hey guys, welcome to another episode of AA for Entrepreneurs. My name is Andrew. I'm Adam, and we are here with Hope. Oh. <laughs> yes, I actually yeah. like that even better. That's, that makes me happy. How are you today, Hope? I'm good. I'm Hope Marion. <laughs> well, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for for coming on. Yeah, stretching through all the problems that come with a day of you know having your car die and still making it out here. Tell us a little bit about um, about yourself. Well, um, I started off as an advocate in um, 2008. I've been using cannabis for a few years, um, but I didn't understand the underlying medicinal purposes mm -hmm. um, and what it was doing for me on a deeper level. So I have been going to the Freedom Rally and started kind of understanding that there was uh, a medicinal purpose to it and that we needed more changes with the regulations and I had been you know, under the pressure of decriminalization mm -hmm. at that time. So I always felt the need to tell my doctors <laughs> through dealing with migraines uh, since childhood. It was something that started helping me and I had to you know, speak up about that. So starting off as an advocate, um, pushing forward, having different jobs and being an event planner. Uh, in 2014, I said, you know what, the cannabis industry is now uh, medicinal and we're starting to get dispensaries finally. We were in a really hard gray area where once it passed, we could only go through caregivers. Mm -hmm. People were still uh, meeting behind the grocery store for product. It, it felt like we were still in the black market. It didn't, yep. it didn't feel like a safe access, to be honest. So this, this card was supposed to protect me, but it didn't provide me with what I really thought it would, uh, ultimately. So then uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna enter the industry. Yep. Where are some skills and uh, experiences I have that I can apply forward? And I ended up uh, pairing up with a family who was looking to open a dispensary on the medical end of things mm -hmm. here in Massachusetts and assisted in uh, the technical end and also in launching the vertically integrated cultivation and the retail end of it. I didn't even know that. So that was a couple <laughs> years of a lot, a lot of work for a couple of years, which is yeah, amazing. amazing. And you know, see a patient get you know, wheeled into the counter and, and to leave and the next week come back and wheel themselves in or to even you know, come back with you know, a walker and then to even walk in without assistance. Watching them just progress through yeah, absolutely. Like um, you know, you know, it's other sides of it, it's hard, but to see someone come in and say, hey, I just left the doctor's with a brain tumor and believe it or not, my doctor sent me here. I'm like, all right, let's send you to a, a doctor mm -hmm. who can certify you because your doctor didn't know that we can't, but here's information on what can help you. And then to see that patient, you know, the family call and say, hey, you know, he passed, but we appreciate you making uh, the end of his life more comfortable and manageable. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to seek out how it, it can help me through, you know, my process with, yep. you know, grieving and then passing along the education. Um, so that was an amazing experience. What year did you get into the cannabis industry? Um, with a dispensary, it was 2014. Or just like the, the, when you were just like, you know what, I'm gonna go from like the the patient and consumer side, like this is it, I'm going full force. That was 2014. Yes, yeah. Nice. I started in 2013 trying to do more freelance work, but I Wait, realized I needed to <laughs> I needed to build a network, and yep. and that's why now I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 2019, mm -hmm. and to see the underground community change and to have these gray areas turned. Uh, legal markets turned hey. going to some big corporate elements. I was just kind of mind blowing. Freelance work. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I started doing freelance work. Of course, as being an entrepreneurial mindset, yep. we always seek out our own uh, opportunities and avenues. 
So, uh, but not having the, the network and the other states at that time, you know, we were at the head of the game. So it's not like I, I can go on, you know, one of the like Upwork or something now, and I can yeah. look at an array of opportunities all over the world. Yeah, you're on Indeed, and it's just a bunch of marijuana jobs. Right, so. <laughs> it was never like that prior. I remember yeah. actually being one of the first companies that posted on there, and <laughs> Indeed saying, "Hey, uh, can you even post this? We're a legal business. Here's yeah. here's our status of being a nonprofit, and here's what the state's doing." Hmm. So we, again, as entrepreneurs and, and small business ran into those uh, regulatory issues. Step into the unknown so that other people don't have to step into the unknown. Yeah. And they just get to kind of be like, well, oh, it's 2019, I guess I'll join the cannabis industry. Now it's starting to boom. <laughs> 420 shades of gray. And they don't yes. see, <laughs> And they don't see like the hard work and dedication that goes on from people like you in the industry and in the communities. That's amazing. I didn't even know like half of that about you. Like we've had so many conversations, I feel like that's never even been brought up. That's incredible. Thank you. And I really did feel at a certain point, not that our voices are being suppressed, but we are put under certain constraints and in a certain box under, you know, the Department of Health and other. So while we were doing our best to provide you know, safe access to medicine, I wanted to share my personal experience and I wanted to reach people on a deeper level. Yeah. And that wasn't uh, staying within certain, uh, you know, fi financial expectations. I wanted to work with people who were terminal, but to, you know, say here is something from the community that we're giving back to you. Maybe you can turn um, it, the terminal it around. It grows back, like let's overgrow and you know, yeah. or share. And I wanted to reach people that have my condition, um, you know, using cannabis for migraine and understanding endocannabinoid system deficiency. That's not something that we can educate on. While we did bring people in and sit them down and have a face-to-face -face and teach them, uh, 30 minutes with each, you know each patient. It's only so much you can do. Exactly. Exactly, and that's why I wanted to do more on the educational aspect of it. And I ended up leaving Massachusetts and going to California. Trader. Um, <laughs> the cusp of uh, Prop 215 turning into Prop 64. And I wanted to go there and help small businesses do their best to stay compliant and to shift their strategy to compete with you know, bigger companies or corporate takeover that was happening through uh, the change of the medical marijuana program essentially just dissolving in California. Can, can you explain, scary. just for like the listeners and watchers that might not know what the different props mean and like the, in California you said Prop 64 and 215? Yeah, Prop 215 um, was yeah. the medical program um, that was started in the 1990s in yeah. California. Um, and then of course once uh, legalization passed in mm -hmm. states like Massachusetts, Maine and California, they moved a, a quicker pace than us. Um, so January 1st they had their first shop open. Um, we were quite, not this year, <laughs> so the year prior. Yeah. So we were uh, quite, quite behind. <laughs> like in, three months in, in that aspect. <laughs> yes, yes, and they literally said you're now paying uh, tax, but not as much as the recreational person. In three months, the government is reconvening, and we're going to essentially dissolve the medical program, and you're now a recreational user. Mm. Um, so we might pay less tax, but you are paying tax. Mm. And I immediately thought of us in Massachusetts who, you know, we're not paying tax yeah. on, on our medicine here. Yeah. So it, as, I mean, people point, don't pay tax on their Percocets or their high blood pressure medicine, I don't think, you know? So understanding huh. that, okay, we're going to have legalization come into play. I need to also think of my home state and how can we, mm -hmm. you know, advocate to keep the medical program? What do we need to do to preserve it? Mm -hmm. When I voted legalization through and I lobbied and and it did everything for this, I didn't think that it would necessarily turn into a fight to keep other rights that we had gotten in the past. And, and a lot of other people didn't uh, see the bigger picture of that, and some did. Mm. But it, you know, we don't want to regress. We want to keep pushing forward yep. no matter what. 
And, and so seeing the turn in California kind of prepared me for what we're going through here now, Absolutely. which is the Cannabis Control Commission's under severe uh, scrutiny to now, they actually recently absorbed the Department of Health's job to oversee the medical program, and uh, they've never done that. Hmm. So the group of individuals and the agency handling it uh, is kind of backing off, and we're in that weird uh, re-education, re, uh, re-navigating period. That makes Definitely. Sense. Yeah. So where are we going from here? In Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where did right I go? Right. What did I do? Uh, um, well, I know we still have to keep pushing forward and, and to defining what we need to do. Um, but in California, I work with a lot of individual brands and companies there. Some, you know, made the choice to dissolve or mm-hmm. to get absorbed. Others have pushed through, and I was able to see them succeed uh, and again to thrive, but by evolving their product, mm-hmm. changing their marketing, and you know, maintaining compliance. They didn't have uh, requirements that we had in medical. So, for example, they didn't have edible potency restrictions. I could go in and buy one thousand milligram brownie. Come here, and they're like. You can't even find it. You can't even find a 500 milligram the medical program. Yep. And finding RSO is difficult. Yep. So having the, the access from I think uh, California being in the market years prior, and not having these regulations and just saying, here you go. It's it's California. It's it's different uh, different culture. Yeah. And, and the East Coast didn't have uh, that in the 90s or early 2000s. So. No. Yeah. Like California kind of like slowly progressed, whereas Massachusetts was like. Uh, all right, decriminalize it. Uh, we're legal. <laughs> Here we go. Well, and, and medical was a slow rollout. <laughs> yeah, very so. slow. So, but again, like as far as like entrepreneurship, like you have to pay attention to trends mm-hmm. in history, and that's kind of what you did with cannabis. Like you were like, wait a second, California, California has this booming emerging industry. There's a couple things that I want to change about it. Let me get ahead of the curve and like help <laughs> Massachusetts a little bit and help push it the way that it's supposed to go which is for the people that's what i think like the biggest issue with cannabis is right now is um, too much thinking about profits and not enough thinking about patients oh. it should always be patients over profit and it's it's such an issue because in a systematically broken government that allows big pharma to just hike prices of medicine that aren't really even helping people it's it's a tricky tricky place to be yeah. in right now. Absolutely. Like we really have to like almost change our whole government in order to like really have cannabis right. have the effect it, it could. Yeah, and like, I think that comes to um, not rescheduling cannabis on a federal level, but descheduling. Descheduling. Yep. Absolutely, and with Wiping the farming clean, bill, everything. Yep, expungements, yep. and with uh, the farming bill coming into play, hemp can now be uh, cro- you know crossing mm. state lines, and so I'm hoping that that's the first. Uh, breakthrough, yeah. breakthrough, maybe not even step, maybe it's yeah. a breakthrough. Um, I do worry about uh, there being, um, you know, this, the government having control over the patents um, on Which they've had for how long? <laughs> right, um, as antioxidant um, and neuroprotectin, but small steps. Yeah. And Another big problem that we're seeing with the, the whole movement is in Oregon, like just saturation. Mm, so for saturation, complete. Oh, like you'll see it in like the Green Mile, where there's more dispensaries than there are coffee shops. I don't really see it as a problem though, because I know like in Denver it's like that too, and it was thriving. Like the thing, the problem, especially in Oregon, is that like these businesses, these farmers that are 
growing cannabis are going out of business because they can't keep up. Pricing, yeah. Yeah, they can't keep up with the, the mass producers of like the, uh, the people that are growing it like uh, tobacco. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some people that are taking steps back and growing it artisanally indoors. Right. And there, there is still a market for that. Yep. But I mean, it's nowhere near as, as far. I mean, I think in, in harvest season, it's ounces are going down. It's like $100 an ounce. I mean, I could be wrong with the numbers, but I, looked, not. I actually looked up Oregon yesterday. It's $85. That is insane. Because someone threw out $50 to me yesterday, and I was I don't think it's that's $50, insane. so I, I did some research, and I'm seeing uh, $85. So. Yeah. And I mean, that's the problem is, how do you know you're going to run into a problem if you're not trying? So that's that goes along your point earlier, is that entrepreneurial, we need to take a step back and kind of see, okay, this is happening in Colorado, Oregon, and, and Colorado. Let's let's take a step and back, and what, where are the mistakes that they made? Yeah. And let's kind of adjust that. I don't. I don't. I think that's what our government is trying to do too. That's why it's so slow moving, especially in in Massachusetts. There's like a lot of checks and balances, and they try to make everything as bureaucratic as possible. So like they're really trying to be like, we don't want to make this mistake. Like when sometimes you kind of just got to make the mistake. <laughs> you know, like I think personally, mistakes but, happen all the time. Yeah, they're super important. Like there's there was no reason it should have taken two years to um, over two years to open the first dispensary recreationally in Massachusetts. But you know, like you're saying, all we can do is keep moving forward. We can, we can like kind of like grit our teeth and be like, that's kind of shitty, and then just move forward. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but looking, totally looking back before 2014, when you when you, you said you were experiencing a lot of migraines and you discovered cannabis, what were you doing before then? So my migraine started in childhood. And so when I got my first job in high school at 16, um, you know, that was when I first used cannabis. I was on my job and they were seeing I was having difficulty looking at uh, the computer and I was working um, in a place that um, had a certain smell that I thought was triggering um, the pain potentially and I was like oh my gosh it's an environmental factor if this is going to be my career which it, it wasn't but no matter what it, I knew that the environmental factors and even if it's light or anything was such a big deal it's like, just here it's like 420 like just try this yeah and I didn't want to admit that I hadn't tried it before I was like trying to light a bowl and I'm like what's this weird hole for? <laughs> <laughs> like cover that I'm like oh okay oh, yeah. this is how this works all right yeah, I knew like, that just the different I knew one it was I there for a reason <laughs> um and I was able to actually go in and finish my job and not not go home because I didn't use it at that point to even get high for the first time I took one puff probably didn't really hold it in that long uh-huh. felt some sort of effect but more of a you know a level clear-headedness if mm. you will I I didn't feel over uh euphoric I just felt more of a contentment and I could focus yeah exactly I could focus and I went in and I think I closed the drawer out I counted you know, a couple thousand dollars and ended my day and and from then on I solely experimented by maybe smoking like half a joint <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't a heavy user at first because I was like okay this is actually doing something to help me what kind of job was it um I was actually doing accounting and reception at um, an automotive shop okay I was in trade school so it was actually my shop week uh-huh. so oh. I was getting paid for my shop week uh, trying to <laughs> function so like, that's awesome that's, that's amazing <laughs> those are super important I haven't told that story before <laughs> <laughs> sorry mom <laughs> sorry mom you gotta accept me now <laughs> oh she will she's yeah. I know she will that's <laughs> like the, the thing in today's society is uh, people are kind of like shying away from trade school 
which is like a entrepreneurial crime because more people are staying in the, the public school system and then going off to college and then from there you're like, Lost. you're 22, you graduate college and deep, deep down inside you know you're an entrepreneur because nothing else is working, right? But now what do you do? Uh, I don't know. Well, if you were to go into a trade school and really get a grasp on working with your hands or whatever trade schools else has to offer, it may have aligned your path and cut off so much wasted oh, time. Absolutely. I took my first business course as an elective in high school. Because you were naturally drawn. Because I was like, oh, I want to take that. Yeah. Like, do you want to take from that? Small business? Cosmetology? I'm like, I'll go small Small business. business. That sounds or like my first business plan. I made, I, it was for an automotive like dealership and uh, like coffee shop attached with like a nail salon and neat. Like, you know, yeah. So it's something for everybody. Yeah. So you're right. I think that trade, uh, trade school also allows for people like me who are starting to experience what can be considered a disability or an invisible disease. Yep. Um, instead of having to, you know, be stuck in a, a classroom, I have the ability to, you know, do things like and get these jobs on, on job week or yep. you know, to have flexibility in, in scheduling out my academic work differently. Uh, the first week of, of shop in ninth grade, everyone gets to go to, I think, a different shop every week for, yep. for 10 or 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I was evolving. You know, I was like, I know the difference between Megan Tig. <laughs> and that really did set the precedence for figuring out our careers and having the mindset of like, well, what am I going to do? And I never stopped re-navigating that path mentally of like, well, what am I going to do? Yep. And I didn't even realize I was essentially being an entrepreneur You're in like high school with making things like jewelry and selling yep. it or, um, yep. you know, other services. I was helping my friends make their resumes, you know, not even realizing, <laughs> I don't know, using a barter system or, you yeah. know, yeah. So you were selling, you were making and selling jewelry? Oh yeah. That's, is that, was that your first entrepreneurial venture? No, um, well, when I was nine, my mother and I, every Sunday we would go to different shops and we would get vintage Jewelry, so she would teach me about uh, you know different uh, makers and how to identify different qualities and worth. And we had a very small set of clients um, that she would connect and source, and we would go and visit them at their homes mm-hmm. and show them a very select uh, jewelry that they felt like was picked out for them to purchase in their home. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a, to get in your car and go, they were able to connect with someone and. You know, a child that was genuinely interested in it and you uh, get something that they loved. So were you like a, a lemonade stand, <laughs> car wash type of kid growing up? Like anything you were just like, I can make money doing that, you did that? No, um, I, I was more volunteer based. Hmm. Um, I started with Girl Scouts, so every uh, Sunday I would go as well, Saturday and Sunday I would go to the nursing home oh. and I would just uh, read to them and I taught them about things like gardening and whatever I was That's learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember doing a, a little workshop on like soap making and I did soap making as well and so I would sell the soaps but then I would donate the money to you know get things like bingo at the nursing home. That's awesome. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. really, as being a, an only child and having older parents that didn't want to go outside and physically run around. <laughs> we were I'll so, go hang out with old people. We were so <laughs> doing other th- I loved it though. Mm-hmm. and. A different time, so I could walk into a nursing home and go hang out with someone in their room. Like it, nowadays, I'm sure there's much stricter. But I hosted a craft group for them, and I was able to source um, the funding that they couldn't afford for the supplies um, from doing things like the soap and the jewelry and stuff like that. I'm so. just thinking about we all consume Gary Vee content, right? <laughs> and he talks about all the time if you want to gain perspective, go into an elderly home 
and just talk to them and listen to their regrets in life. Like, oh man, you know, when I was 20, I wish I would have skydove, you know, like, yeah. I wish I would have done that, you know, and you're gonna be able to like really learn a lot about yourself and like kind of just get out there and do things. Like you can't be scared your whole life. And that's kind of like, I feel like that was probably important and you just kind of like clicked a memory that I like completely forgot <laughs> about. Like I, my mom worked in a nursing home and I used to volunteer and do the same thing. Like we did a Puff the Magic Dragon play with the old people. And <laughs> like, little did I know. Yeah, like little, <laughs> little did I know that that is gaining perspective on like Puff so much. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy, it's crazy. Absolutely, so I, I think uh, that kind of was where I maybe started never realizing that I was becoming an educator at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going and doing presentations just uh, to engage them and just, you know, try to uh, reach people that were being neglected in a way. Because a lot of people, oh yeah, I'll visit my aunt every Sunday. Well, it's yeah. four times a month. Yeah. Um, and there's other, you know. And then that one thing happens on a Sunday that you can't go. And, you know. Yeah. People don't realize how lonely they are in there. It's sad. It's so <laughs> sad. I don't ever want to put my parents in an old age home. Like, mom, dad, if you're watching, no. you're not. But yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll build an in law in law house in the back. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll build an in law house <laughs> in the, on another acre. Like, <laughs> you could be with me, but just not with me. Yes, yeah, it's that. not like college for old people. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess entrepreneurship always has been a part of my life. Yeah. But I think it's something my parents also kind of. Uh, instilled in me without maybe even, even realizing. But yeah, it definitely goes back to trade school. Um, I actually didn't graduate from trade school though. Um, I felt like my time, at a certain point, I knew that my trade wasn't going to be my career. Um, I had other issues, if you will, if some aspects of sexual harassment in the shop, being um, a female in a, a widely uh, male-dominated area, yep. my concerns weren't voiced properly. And so I had a, a moment of, you know, administration's not listening to me. Um, things are happening against my uh, consent that aren't, you know, being brought forth. And you have a leader mentality. Yeah, and, and they pretty much said, we're not switching your shop. And, you know, you're a female in a male shop. Like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to defend myself. And so what I did. are you going to do? That I did defend myself. Yes, I did. And that was kind of like part. a first time I was ever fully physical toward anyone. I did defend myself one time and I got suspended. <laughs> in-house suspension and so I spent that in-house suspension day making a plan as to how I was going to change that and make sure that, that didn't happen to anyone else yep. and also a plan I had to get out of that situation because even being an entrepreneur we get into scenarios or situations that are unexpected a lot yeah. and so having to think on the fly and renegotiate and adapt and overcome you can get bullied a, as an entrepreneur definitely yeah like, and I think that advantage. even getting bullied for whatever reason like you learn that like any kind of lifestyle wherever you are is going to come back to this lesson and so ultimately, I, I found a program uh, through Bill Gates. Thank you, Bill Gates, <laughs> for changing my life. You're watching. <laughs> Shut up. Yes. Um, Come on the podcast. Yeah, Gates in college. Um, I technically had to sign myself out, which is one of the hardest decisions I ever made. Wow. I promised my, uh, my, my parents at the time I would never get a GED because in my heart I wanted a diploma. And I did want to walk across the stage of people that I, I built these relationships with. But I gave that up and I, I signed myself out of school and fingers crossed I got accepted into Bill Gates program and it was dual enrollment. So I got accepted into a local community college and I took uh, courses under a local high school but I took all um, basic college level courses. Hmm. So my electives uh, were essentially marketing as a now then junior and senior and that's also what really launched me into 
you know, having more understanding of business and what I wanted to do is not many people at 17 are put into the decision of having to actually pick a major for a an associate's degree and say, here's all your books, we're paying for it. Yeah. And this is an opportunity because I was with people who hadn't been as fortunate. Um, they had, you know, other um, undercomings that I hadn't experienced. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was lucky that I still fit into the criteria of the program, um, but I was actually the only person out of 43 to complete of the program at the time. Wow. It's a very small uh, percentage. Did of you ever get the meet Bill Gates? No, but I was able to then get a job with the co that college later on, and I was able to share, you know, share my experiences about the program and reach a lot of people. They then reformatted it to um, reach more uh, school districts mm. outside of the ones that they were reaching. So it's all over the state in New England and country now. Hmm. Yeah, I took a different approach to even finishing. Seems, High school, and that launched me right into an associate's degree. Yeah. How, how old were you going to get your associates? Uh, I would say it was 18 and a half. Wow. wow. And I got so my like bachelor's at 21. <laughs> I got my bachelor's at 21. Yeah. Wow. Right before I turned 21, a couple days. And then I got my graduate degree at um, 24. Wow. Right before I turned 25. That's wow. incredible. <laughs> I have to get your break. I have to your break. <laughs> I'm 27. And, and you're two years older. Holy shit. <laughs> Signed themselves well. out of high school. I'm scared. That's Major inspiring. life decision at 17. Entrepreneurship is terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's like all, all day. I mean, now's the time to take risks. And yeah. you, you'd mentioned like when you were just telling your story, you mentioned that it was an obstacle. Like you hit this huge roadblock and you managed to get yourself out of it. Have you, is there anything more recent entrepreneurial that you had you there's a huge elephant in the road and you got to get by it what did you do oh absolutely um you know for example i've always dreamed of having an online classroom for um the uh non-profit migraine hope the educational um section that i run mm -hmm. to help disseminate information on natural healing um i always wanted this online platform and the tech end of things is not not a my forte <laughs> um, and so I've had to navigate that of learning okay like what is reasonable for for tech and how can I navigate that and re repurpose that yep um, so I've definitely had to uh, you know always take your emotions out of it and yep. step back and look at it in a larger picture and say okay like why am I upset like how bad do I want this and like what do I just have to do to, to make it happen mm. and to actually break down the issues into even further Sectors, How much will. do you think like self-awareness plays into that? Oh, it's huge. If I was sitting there saying, oh my gosh, or, or even self-blame, oh my gosh, I'm just, I can't figure it out. Well, I, I was able to outsource someone who could tell me what I needed to do realistically. Mm -hmm. These are the funds you need. And then yeah. say, okay, how realistic is the funding needed for this portion of it? How can I repurpose this and use the funds in a better way to make the dream happen? Mm -hmm. Or is there another way that I could collaborate to get the forces needed? Yep. So always, but the, you know that's one thing for me was the accepting that my my plan for technology wasn't quite there yet. I'm gonna repurpose. I'm terrible repurpose at plumbing. <laughs> Can't do it. Right. Good point. Yeah, there's, there's always there's always things that, that come into play. Um, even I think people um, over over criticize themselves, and so putting too much on our plates. We're leaders, but how often can we say, okay, this is what I need to delegate off and push it, you know, onto someone else's plate? Because that's, mm -hmm. that's okay, and that's not failing. That's part of leadership. That's part, exactly. But, but sometimes people think entrepreneur, you're that single standing entity, and, and not yeah. everyone has 
the option or the understanding or the mindset to build out a team around that. Uh, so as an entrepreneur, you need to have a team that supports you. And you either need to be able to do it or pay somebody to do it. Yeah, or, <laughs> or you know, find another or, yeah. right. I find another another way where you're not paying, but there's still again mutual benefit, and that's yep. even better when when uh, you're leveraging uh, the ability to do so. Which is something I, I still consider that payment because like you spend the time to get to know somebody. Absolutely, and, absolutely. You know, Summer free. Just in that that sense of things. Um, I just completely lost train of thought. We just we just interviewed uh, the Woods, mm. and they're a uh, a couple who's. Totally, they're both super into entrepreneurship, and that it's that teamwork that is is super inspiring for some people. Sometimes you just need a little shoulder to lean on. That perspective in a while. is so important. Absolutely, another insight. It's like um, having the lens of a camera, and like you take it and you focus on Drew's face right now, and you zoom out, and now it's focusing on Hope's face. It's a completely different image, but it's still the same image, just different yeah. perspectives. You know, like sometimes somebody just sees one little change that you can make in your business that you couldn't possibly see. Like everything's in front of you, you have more information than anybody in the world. I notice this all the time when I talk to Andy, I'll talk to him about like a specific thing that's happening within my business and then he'll be like, well, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, ah, damn it, you're right. I should have done that, <laughs> that's so simple. And it's just the perspective of things like, like-minded people giving you perspective is yeah. Like-minded, but all from different walks of life and yes. different experiences. Yep. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. And, yep. and that's why as an entrepreneur, I've worked alone, but I prefer to work on a team. And yeah. you know, I've taken time to cultivate a team from all over the country for you know, different projects or sectors that mm. I'm working on. And it you know, does change business. And it's kind of like, why are you keeping yourself you know, you know, pigeonholed, yeah. if you will, right? Yeah, you're convincing yourself mm -hmm. when you can, can actually uh, pair yourself with other people and expand. And if, as long as your mission aligns, um, and you're, you know, can collaborate and be honest this and goes, open. This goes Always back be open to, and honest. We had a podcast, um, and right before the podcast, Andy let me know that he wanted to start working on media stuff. And my ego immediately kicked in. I was immediately like, wait, but I'm working on media stuff. What do you mean you're working on media stuff? And like, my mind immediately was just like stuck in the ego mode, and I couldn't possibly see how both of us working on media stuff could mutually benefit us exponentially. And it like took me a few weeks and I was like, you know what? You're right. Like let's just work together on this media stuff and let's go. And right. it's just because of like I, I started thinking like, damn, every time I talk to Andy, he gives me some kind of insight or perspective. And I'm gonna be able to, you know, teach him this skill and he's probably gonna give me some more insight or perspective on that while I'm teaching him and yeah. that's exactly what's happened, literally. And you're seeing the value in that. And that's a shame is sometimes people don't see the value in you know, it's always like, well, let's get a coffee and let me pick your brain. Um, time is money and time is valuable, so yep. don't ever underestimate yep. the value of your knowledge. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you know, and being a friend from it. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And imagine now if, if, you know, you were out doing your own podcast and you're like, wow, I really want to talk about, you know, entrepreneur life and, and small business, but you don't want to feel like a competitor. And having both of you here today is providing you know, such great value and added insight, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those beautiful things is when partnerships work yep. and you know you're providing more value overall. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. I, love, <laughs> I love team building. It's the best. <laughs> and, and it's sometimes, like, when, when you're part of a team, there's people relying on you, mm. and that is such a driving force sometimes when someone's like, okay, they, they need me, and that's why uh, I'm a real big into mountaineering, mm -hmm. and mountaineering is a huge team sport, but at the same time, it's solo. Like, most of the time, you're 
it's a battle in your head. But there are certain times where something will happen. Okay, there's a huge crack in the ice. There's no way that we can get across that. What do we do? How do we get through this? You're relying on me. I'm relying on you. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get through this. Um, I was actually on Instagram last night because I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know you or I didn't know you before, before today. Yeah. I kind of met you uh, real quick at the hemp workshop. Yes. And so I went through your Instagram and one of the things that caught my eye was uh, a picture that really told a story. And it was a picture of you standing, I think it was in front of a lake and you were holding a sign. And it said something along the lines, of, I love this, it was, um, uh, cannabis is my exit drug. Can you tell, tell us more about that, that picture? It was re- really incredible. Um, that's actually one of the photos that uh, for me was a big deal because I was finally putting my message out there mm. um, that you know getting uh, so many migraines that they kind of just give you every prescription uh, and then sometimes you get a prescription for uh, a prescription <laughs> yeah, essentially <laughs> or what that prescription is doing uh, to you what it shouldn't be doing because what it's correcting it's kind of correcting maybe mm-hmm. um, and so after being put on prescription over and over and over again saying okay this isn't working now I'm in chronic pain um, I had one migraine for 26 months, and for me that was a really crippling experience. Um, even though I was trying to be an entrepreneur for bed, uh, that's not Hard. living your best life mm-hmm. by any means. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to say, okay, I'm taking control. Dr. Uma really pieced it together mm-hmm. for me one day, and she's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Uma. That uh, migraine is endocannabinoid system deficiency, mm-hmm. and we're again going back. You know, years, but for me to put the message out there, yeah. it wasn't until maybe you know 2016, and so understanding, okay, this is endocannabinoid system deficiency. Mm-hmm. I had to then work with a neurologist or other doctors who acknowledged that, that uh, cannabis was helping me, yep. but the uh, root of the issue hadn't been, you know, gotten to yet. And they were trying to say, oh, it's just genetics. It's just who you are. Well, maybe I mean they run in my family, and there's more I need to learn then. Mm. So I only became my own advocate for you know, educating myself, but I realized there's natural things that I could do to maybe take away the symptoms of the medications. And then I was like, okay, why am I even on these? Mm-hmm. And I don't ever recommend to anyone that they go off their medications without um, working with a medical professional. It's extremely unsafe. But what I did do is I found a neurologist who said, okay, uh, yeah, I love cannabis. And I, I write certifications for the state of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I don't think these these prescriptions are helping you in your situation. They might help other patients that I've worked with or clients who you know, are at that stage where they need it. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've been on every tryptin, um, every anti-anxiety, every antidepressant. It's like, I'm, I'm not depressed, but maybe being on these medications are making me feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding at that point, you know, it's, it's an opinion that each doctor you see. And this doctor understood I was at a point where I had been prescribed every possible medication mm-hmm. besides an opioid, which I refused to try. And uh, yeah, he's like, go for it. Let's you know, get you off of these slowly and figure out and tell me how different sources of cannabis are helping you differently. So then I was going and reporting back mm-hmm. and it ultimately led to me meeting with you know, different hospitals like Boston Medical, Tufts, MGH, and saying, hey, when I have a strong migraine, I took 75 milligrams of CBD orally in a vegan capsule 
um, I microdosed uh, with THC doing this method this time and paired it with these other natural treatments, mm -hmm. um, along with me going further into it and trying to figure out the source of the migraine. So ultimately, I was able to work with a professional to safely get off of uh, the prescriptions, and I was lucky that, you know, luckily I, I feel like maybe some of those medications did some sort of, not damage, but the repercussions. Long-term effects, yeah. <laughs> Anti-anxiety medications tend to leave you with long-term effects. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like my memory, my memory certainly changed, and words don't always come out as I think them. Different, <laughs> different little, uh, definitely Topamax is one that I dispelled. Rafalon for me, and I remember coming off some of the medications and being like, oh my gosh, I've never, excuse me, I've never used hard drugs in my life, but yet it feels like I'm coming off of something that I've seen on National Geographic where someone is coming off of heroin. Like, why do I feel like I have bugs crawling on me? Like, why am I having... Why do I want you know, more? <laughs> like, why am I having hot and cold, um, you know, flashes? And it was just, it was, it was unreal. Uh, so I took a large amount of CBD uh, to start. CBD's and then I ended up, you know, I did use a large amount of THC, but I, I now can figure out, engage when a headache might be coming on, I've gotten to the root of the problem. I've, you know, I've figured out a lot of those underlying factors. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I was probably having a lot of rebound headaches as well from my body saying, "What are all these chemicals? Like, you just need some magnesium." And that's believe mm -hmm. not the answer. Is just having a little bit more magnesium at all. But it was part of the solution. Absolutely, but something small like that was okay. This small thing is actually a huge deficiency in my body per se, and mm -hmm. something that I don't need Topamax or. Um, you know, any of the other, I was know, trying to I mean, every tryptin, amitriptyline, um, gabapentin, um, a lot of steroids for some reason, mm. uh, they feel like... Did you ever get like Botox injections for like getting headaches uh, to your gun? To the doctor? I feel so bad for this poor doctor. She, she weighed probably about 100 pounds and I was 140 pounds at the time, sitting up like this getting the injections and they, they do 30 injections. Um, from here down to your jaw, um, shoulders, upper back, um, and then into you know your actual you know, cranial area. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking, oh, I should probably be laying down for this. I told her in the past, I history of fainting. I'm sensitive to pain. She knew Ooh. it was in a chronic migraine state. Um, and yeah, right on my I think 28th injection, uh, right here in the temporalis. It was just the most unbelievable pain I can, and I just completely just blacked out. But apparently I was aggressive. I've never been aggressive when I blacked out. But That's someone so was holding me, and I remember being just looking like face down and seeing the ground, a different ground, and not not the floor, but looking at like concrete almost, and then having that image and not knowing what was going on. I remember saying like, "Get off of me!" And I actually scared her. She had physical. <laughs> she had a hard time physically holding me because I go down. Yeah. So she had a hard time physically holding me, being behind me holding a needle in one hand. I remember someone that was with came in, but I see her kind of hold you, holding a needle in one hand that's open. So I scared her. As a mm. practitioner, she's never had that happen, and you are, from what I've been told, it's suggested that someone is on a surface they can lay back. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have anything behind me. I, I didn't have the back of a chair or anything. I was literally on a bench like this. That goes to show, like, in the medical industry, I feel like so much, they're like, oh, you have a headache? We need to inject something yeah. in your head. Well, the best part about Botox is think about it, like, if I had Botox in my forehead right now and I went like this, nothing would move. Yeah. Everything is frozen. Um, and it, it is, it freezes. Yep. So essentially, if I'm freezing, 
um, what sending the pain signal to me. I'm still having the cause of the pain. It's just like taking a, an opioid where it's just blocking your, yeah. your receptors to feel it. So it also wears off in like yeah. four to six months. Yes. So they go, okay, you're gonna need more for it to work. And then it's, you're gonna have to do it every six months again for it to work. And you can only do it four times. It's masking, not treating. Yep. And I try to tell my patients that, and I have patients who have great success on it, and like they know who they are because it's a Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. um, and I hate to word it like that, but mm -hmm. it's not getting to the root of the issue. Yep. Now, if you're suicidal, and you can't get out of bed every day, and you've tried every prescription, maybe it's the route that you need to go to decrease the severe, uh, constant, Pain so that you're in, and the then room. you can get to the exactly, and maybe go to other holistic options yeah. because you know you have a six month time frame or four month time frame yeah. where um, it's it might you know, come back. Yep, and you can really improve your way of life in that time. That's a long time, you know, to like experiment with different CBD, like you're saying, microdosing with THC, um, magnesium, vitamin B12. Yeah. Like, there's so many different things that are out there that are just way more natural yeah. than one step away from meth. <laughs> I didn't realize that people in the community um, weren't necessarily talking about it. It's not because um, it's not being experienced, but I'm in other communities. And, and that was you know, the migrant community. And people on there were saying, have you had this uh, symptom or a side effect? Yep. And then I'm seeing the posts you know, maybe four years ago, hey, have you tried CBDs? I'm like, okay, it's CBD. And it stands for this, and this is what it does, and this is how we use it. And I started realizing that I was becoming an educator naturally within the migraine community, and that's one reason why that project uh, came about for my sign because I couldn't explain in a paragraph without being emotional. So I made it so everyone sure would just understand yeah. why and their, you know what the uh, the mission at hand was. So hmm. where was that? Who was that photographer? Cause I think I've seen a couple other people like with the same. So um, the photographer is someone that I have on my team, but the cannabis project is um, national. Yeah, yep, her name is Erica. That's awesome. That's so awesome. I love seeing. Yeah, unfortunately, like I'm gonna try not to go on a tangent, but a lot of MLM CBD companies have taken my viral photo. Um, I've reached over 12 million people with that photo, and my name wasn't attached to it in any way. Mm. Um, I have other companies that have put their their watermark. And cut out our watermark. So, what? That's oh yeah, cool. um, yeah. I would love to just. Two other content creators out there that does not give you permission to use the no. photo. No, and then the worst part is this one person who put their watermark on it is, is just like, eh. hmm. I'm like, well, like six other people have taken it from you, and then six other people from them are taking it. I swear, Channelway has has a folder of. of ripped photos they're just like here's here's all the content you can use and then the reps go in they don't realize or something because for some reason it's it's hemp works and canaway or they're always repurposing my photo and then their reps say oh i don't know i just got it from my rep so, or my manager i'm like okay well how do i go to the top of canaway to say stop stealing my stuff off instagram well here's the thing and everyone else's they like don't use need my story to stop doing that and what they need to do is just repost it's a great way to repurpose the material that was already there but spread a message to your people like i reposted a cbd video i can't remember who the source was mm -hmm. but i loved it so much because it was some it was an older gentleman with parkinson's like literally so bad he's like this he can't even grab the cbd oil and they put cbd oil under, under his tongue and then 10 minutes goes by and he's like this so they're using his story to profit off of a product that's probably not grown in the united states not well, that one wasn't. That's and why not industrial hemp 
Well, no. In general, though. Yeah, yeah, in general, definitely. And that one, they, they, they said they didn't. But, you know, I liked the, the person, so I just yeah. reposted it. And it said, my first, the first line was like, oh my god, I fucking love this. Like, because it just gets me fired up. And then it said repost from the source. And so then they like it. They thank me for reposting yeah. it. I get a bunch of views because it was a viral it ended up going viral so i ended up like on the fourth like the beginning yeah. of the virality of it and then we create like more of a relationship whereas you're i never this. get tagged people always was like hope is that you Where people you from have... high school my mother's friends i feel um, like i've seen the pictures like <laughs> oh i guarantee you it's on facebook it's on instagram it's on twitter i have over 15 recorded places it's on right now it should be and infringement lawyers want to be on it and it's just exhausting. I'd yep. rather be spreading my message. Positivity. And positivity. <laughs> but I, I did, I put a watermark under my leg and it has my handle on it and I did repost that so hopefully that's the one you saw had my handle on the leg and I wrote um, a message again this is my mission my story and I hope that you can find good quality CBD and good quality medicine and I'm also here to help you identify how to do that yep. because MLM companies aren't necessarily sourcing it from reliable places that have safe quality medicine. It's not being triple tested. Yep. It's not industrial hemp. Um, and maybe the, the labor practices behind it aren't um, the best. <laughs> I've always correct. felt that way. I've always felt that way. Like, right, that's why I started making, that's usually when I start making my own stuff, it's because I didn't find anything I like. And I like, my fiance tried a bunch of CBD oils, and obviously I did too, and I'm just like, yuck, that tastes like poop. Yuck, that one didn't feel like it did anything for me. Like, none of them felt like they did anything for me. I make my first batch out of just lab-tested CBD distillate and MCT oil. Boom. And it's just like, wow, why are people doing this with hemp oil and with, um, what's the other, grapeseed oil? They love using that. Like, they're not good potentiators for cannabinoids. Like you need something like an MCT oil that bonds to the fats so you can get the full benefits of all the cannabinoids you're taking or else it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> like people think that hemp oil just because it's hemp and you're putting cannabinoids, like it makes sense, but even that's not as good of a potentiator as the medium chain triglycerides. It's more of a marketing thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it's more or of a cost, a cost efficiency. Cost efficiency. Yep. Same as uh, mixing polyethylene glycol yep. or PG in with your... Oil to make yeah. the viscosity of yep. a cartridge work better. A lot of the cartridges. So it's the same yeah. concept. Right. So hemp oil is cheaper than coconut oil. Is that what you're saying? Hmm. Because it's uh, like coconut oil. No, it's the same. Ones putting there. in MCT oil is better than putting. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. MCT oil is typically a little pricey when you get organic. Okay. Oh, non-GMO MCT oil. Like I spend thirty dollars on like a it's medium bum. chain. Yeah, yeah like that's I a use a little it, bigger than that. I like use it every thinner. night. I yeah. switch with coconut oil. Coconut oil. Yeah. So. Is it the same thing? Is it, is it coconut oil? It's MCT it's oil? literally just the medium chain triglycerides. Medium chain triglycerides of the coconut just derived into basically a clear liquid form. So you can nice. There's refined and unrefined. Okay. So there's coconut oil that will remain hard. Can you use it for cooking or yeah other stuff? Yeah. Yeah, Coconut oil is so that. tricky. Nothing, I mean, you can. You can certainly infuse that, but you're going to get a jar that might have a harder consistency. So yeah, more CBD. Use that yeah. And more for topical. Mm. Definitely. I, I, did, I made that mistake with making my first CBD oil with just coconut oil, <laughs> just unrefined coconut oil. Oh, yeah. this is good. And then I was Same. Using it. Every time I use it, I got to heat it up. Space heater, front front. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. So what I'm kind of like 
catching the vibe from you is that you're not afraid to take risks, right? What would you say to someone who wants to be an entrepreneur but is faced in the middle of a, a challenge where they like, I need, I want to do this, but I'm just, I'm afraid to take the leap. I would say to find a mentor and the resources that can help you break down what your fears are and define solutions to them. It might be the fact that you just simply don't have the experience or the education to have the confidence that you know what to do. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of free resources for um, small business classes online. Podcasts. Don't have available. Yes, exactly. Something like this. Thank you. Have podcasts. Finding a mentor. Um, Again, it's not always easy to find someone who's like, hey, I'll speak to you on my wing and show you the ropes. But I've, no, I have. Yeah. I've seen several people and I've had people that I've mentored as well because you want to pass the good along. Yep. And those people will maybe be part of my team one day. And you learn from mentoring. Yeah, or maybe I'll be on their team. I mean, either way, or maybe I can collaborate another team with them and yep. connect them together and make something great. Yep. Um, so I think finding the, the, the source of your fear mm. and maybe acknowledging it's fear. People might not acknowledge so it's fear. They're like, you know, I just don't have, I, I can't do it, or I don't have the resources to do it, or I just don't know. Well, let's get to the source. How can we help you figure out what you need to know? How can we find it? Yeah, like, I would love to be able to afford to have, like, a mentorship from Gary Vee, but instead I'll just listen to his podcast where he drops knowledge bombs, like, every five minutes, and I'm just learning from that. Like, ah, oh, that's what I did wrong. Okay. That is mentorship, though. Right, it's a different form of it. Even uh, someone I knew that was getting mentored then came to me and would pass along what her mentor would say. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I met the mentor, I said, Oh, so and so told me so much about you, and would even tell me um, some advice and you know, excuse me, suggestions that she, you know you gave her. And I found that I naturally just applied them yep. to my yep. business, my lifestyle. And here I am, like, it's working for me. So like, you know, thank you. Yep. And she was just shocked. And she then you was. spread that along to other people, and then more and people learn, and that. it's just like, wow. Trickle effects. And then they go to their mentor, and it's like, wow all these people we yeah and now the person who's getting mentored has actually found a successful job yep. and is having you know great happiness in it in the cannabis industry so it's nice to see uh, those relationships become successful and yeah. now not only is she being mentored they're, they're more partners in it and yep. they're able to connect businesses and keep their personal friendships absolutely we are in such a golden age for mentorship because think of the mm-hmm. access like you we mentioned we all like Gary V. I mean, we're not a direct uh, mentoree mm-hmm. of him, but in a sense, we are because we—he is one of our mentors. Mm-hmm. We uh, soak up all of his content, and the thing is, with mentorship today, is there's so many different mentors. Whoever you admire yep. can be a mentor, yep. and you don't just need one mentor, right? You can have, okay, this this person is a really good cook. I want to be a good cook. He's my mentor in cooking. This person's a really good mentor in um, 1970s style ice skating. That's what I want to do. You know what I mean? Exactly. I was just thinking about that. Like, I have mentors like that are on the intuitive side, like help me with my mental, so that way I can do better business stuff. Then I have business mentors, and then I have cannabis mentors, mm-hmm. and I have you know, like it's all about parenting, just kind of like maybe, right? yeah, parenting yeah. mentors. Everything else like, we do. Really yep, like. literally, like you just got to kind of like figure out what maybe you need some help with and there's always a mentor for it somewhere somewhere somebody has a little piece of knowledge that they could just pass on to you and help you out yeah (laughs) that's definitely one element to to fear is breaking down 
what the not not problem per se is, but what is the, the roadblock? Identifying. Yeah. Yes, identifying factor that's keeping you from success. Yeah. Or factors. Have you had a lot of mentors? No, no. I've had people that I am inspired by, and I can see what works for other people, mm. and I adapt that through trial and error to the way that works yep. for me. But coming back to mentors not having to be a face to face, I would say that my mentors are really um, the people that influence me all around, like my friends and the people in the industry that um, I've worked with on projects. So I would say in a way, no, I haven't had like a, a one-to-one, you know, strong, let's sit down and hash out your dreams kind of mentor. But on a, a looser term, yeah, all, all the people I've networked with and connected with all over the, the country mm-hmm. and taken on projects with or just gone and sat down at a conference and like, hey, what do you, what do you do? And all it takes is one line yep. that clicks and you don't even necessarily realizing how you're reapplying it later in your life or in your business. So yeah, I've had hundreds of mentors probably. That's amazing. <laughs> That's probably a good place to wrap up. And I think so too. <laughs> it's a good one. I always get so lost like right at the end of a podcast. If you guys watch this in every single podcast, I get lost right before we outro because I'm like, you don't want to miss anything. No, no, no. It's not even that. My content brain is like, wow, that moment was great. And that moment was great. I know, so but there's more to fear, though. There's more to fear. <laughs> there's more to fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tell, tell everybody where, where can they find you? Um, what are you doing now? Anything that you want to want to let everyone know? Sure. Um, well, I'm on the cusps of some great projects that you'll be hearing about. Um, but I am coming out with educational guides and a book on my experiences with migraine and natural healing through cannabinoids, but also through a wide source of um, other non-cannabis related uh, tools, if you will. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that coming out soon. Uh, my website is hopemarian, H-O-P-E-M-A-R-I-A-N.com. And I can be reached at info at hopemarian.com. I'm also hopemarian underscore on Instagram and Facebook. It's so bad. So I want Adam Souza.com. What did Adam say.com? All right, I need to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. honestly, like, thank you. Honestly, like, people like you in our in in this cannabis industry, like, are trailblazing. You're like literally laying down the little the little bricks <laughs> along the way that allow me to be like, Ooh, let me hop on that one. Ooh, let me hop on that one. And then like, I lay a couple bricks and lay it for the person behind me. And but if you never got that started, you know, within this last five, six, seven years of just working. Probably wouldn't be where we're at now. So thank you. Well, thank you for the platform to speak on about because <laughs> that's something that I don't necessarily have. And it's nice to see people like you come in and, and you have a passion about this. And you know, you have set in, intentions, and I'm seeing you fall through, and you're reaching so many people and helping us all, you know, speak about why we're here for the plant. And that's amazing. I love going to your page and be like, oh my gosh, who do I want to see today? And right. the, the cannabis you know, community and industry and, and learn about and, and I'm getting inspiration from your platform and podcast as well. So thank, thank you, you for, for having us. Thanks again. <laughs> awesome. Peace.